The Imprint Companion Podcast is, of course, brought to you by Imprint Films. Imprint Films is a brand new Australian boutique Blu-ray label. Check them out for limited edition deluxe Blu-ray releases of long-requested and previously unreleased films. Check out the past and future releases online at imprintfilms.com.au. You can follow Imprint Films on Twitter at imprint underscore films or one word on Instagram at imprint films, no space. And finally on the Facebook page at imprint films AU. Oh my goodness. Welcome back to Imprint Companion, the only podcast on the internet that is talking about the still kicking. It's still kicking. It's still alive. DVD culture. I am joined by my friend who has jumped over to the streaming ships between episodes. Oh my God. We're dragging him back to that physical media. We're dragging him away from his subscription. It is one of Australia's best movie podcasters and has the other podcast about movies that exists on the internet. Mr. Alexi Toliopoulos. Welcome back to Imprint Companion, my friend. Blake Howard, it is my pleasure to remain steadfast in my love <laughs> and adoration and my dangerous addiction to physical media that you help me enable every couple I'm... of months that we get to talk about imprints <laughs> and the lovely batch of kind of bizarre movies that we get this month. It's a it's their biggest batch yet. It's an epic batch. It's and, a behemoth, um, I would say. A behemoth. It's so big that certain studios kept it away from Charlton Heston and <laughs> Sam Beckenbaugh's cold dead hands for 40 years and had to reassemble it for this show. Yeah. Um, so if you guys if you guys haven't listened to this before, the incredible Aussie boutique Blu-ray label, Imprint, uh, they get together about every eight weeks or so now and curate an incredible list of like never before released films onto Blu-ray and they come stacked with special features and beautiful slip covers and great, just, just, just great, uh, treats, yeah. uh, resplendent treats in special features all over the place. And Alexi and I join up and it's our funnest, uh, little catch up. We get together Absolutely. and just sort of, and just camp around the beautiful campfires. Sometimes we fly to Mexico with Sam Peckinpah and a whole bunch of people and we get around a campfire and we talk about the amazing releases of this batch. So we are up to imprint number 11. We've done the first 10 so far. This encompasses all the way up to like 22. There's a huge yeah. box sets and things like it. It's, it's, it's a massive, a massive batch this month. Um, but, uh, uh, in this October, sorry. And, uh, we, we've got so many films to cover. We've got so many to cover. So we're going to break this up into a few more episodes than usual. We're going to do all the single edition films, uh, over the first two episodes, a two-parter, and then we're going to back it up with a massive episode, I guess, or a couple of episodes about two huge box sets that they've got in this collection as well. Massive box sets. We've got noir box sets. We've got Bob Hope box sets. But even some of the individual films that come are their own box sets, yes. which I think is a good segue to the first film. The first film, imprint number 11 that we're going to be talking about is Sam Peckinpah's 1965 first big budget film that was taken away from him called Major Dundee. Green stretches to vast new horizons in the epic story of a rabble regiment led by two bitter enemies, a major in blue, a captain in grey. To this day, their exploits echo in the legendary of the great Southwest. Falling, 
Charlton Heston, Richard Harris, Jim Hutton, James Coburn, Michael Anderson Jr., Santa Berger, Major Dundee, a legend born of savage violence. This is so freaking ridiculously opulent mm. now. Like if you're watching this 1965 movie where they're just building stuff, it's it's such an epic, epic movie. This yes. was my first time watching it. And, and I mean, all I could think of, the main word that I wrote down in my notes when I was like looking at this, Lexi, when I kicked off was like, embellish like it mm. feels like they've taken one guy's little diary which you actually hear read in the extended yeah. version of the film and over narrated and just embellished it to beyond belief it is just bigger you know actors like charlton heston and richard harris and jim hutton it's like big 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 james coburn it just is like it's got all that masculine epic energy of some of the movies we've already talked about but i was i was thrilled to tick this off my like uh sam peckinpah completest list uh mm. finally after not having seen it i would say i'm a bit of a sam peckinpah neophyte i've only seen maybe i guess his three biggest films the wild bunch bring me the head of alfredo Fred garcia, garcia and yeah. um straight straw dogs Straw dogs. I was going to say stray dogs, but I believe that's Akira <laughs> Kurosawa. But I've only seen yes, those is. three, so I'm not like that. Uh, I've never been that inclined to delve further. And I think yeah. that this is kind of like what I expected, but it's also really interesting to see like the origins of the Sam Peckinpah that would go on to become like this macho or tourist legend. Because yes. you see like, you see the little trappings. You see the things that he finds interesting. You see that you've got these two like... Uh, I was going to say diametrically opposed, like masculine leads, but they're not even like they're barely, no. they barely are disagreeing. It's just like the time where they're kind of forced to be working together in like that buddy cop way, I guess. But it's kind of like, it's interesting to see like how he would grow into develop because I think that this film would remain even more obscure than it is if it wasn't for like this legendary 100%. auteur being one of his first like stepping stones to creating like the career that he would be known for. Yeah. I, it's, it is a, it is an odd thing just in general because, you know, you mentioned a couple of them while bunch straw dogs mm. bring the head of Alfredo Garcia. Like he, he, he's obviously got, um, um, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid in there. Yep. He's got the Ballad of Cable Hogue. Like there's there's a stack of Peck and Pars that you can seek out. And I, I I've I definitely went off on a Peck and Par um binge because I'm such a Michael Mann head. Yeah. So when you're a Michael Mann head, it's like you when you know that Michael Mann's a Peck and Par head, it's just like, oh, well, now I have to go and see what the kind of what the big deal is. Yeah. And you know, and in this, I think one thing that you can also say about Peck and Par that like he would almost never do again. And I wonder if it was just the experience of the film or everything. It was just like, he doesn't ever really seem to, again, completely lean on one lead. Yeah, Like he doesn't ever have a Charlton Heston. And that's the, that's the like main ingredient, I think for, for Peck and by heads out there who are definitely familiar with the film and me coming to it was like, there are movies that have got big actors in them, but he's like, you know, he's got like Robards and he's got like these old, you know, Peter Fonda. He's, he's got these guys who've got these faces mm. and they're just kind of, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's something pretty special. Like there are some of his key guys in here in, in supporting roles, Coburn, of course. Um, but I just feel like that early on in his career is like, he's making this movie. He's got this wonderful t period of time of like America post, post-Civil War, 
heaps of internal conflict or at least all of that conflict was like right out in the open, yeah. open racism, open, you know, um, Confederates, you know, just unwilling to participate in the union. You've got guys in the internal squabbling in their army. And, and I guess really like Heston's meant to be this kind of downtrodden guy who's a bit of a failure, but like his big square chin and his the Ben Hur of it all, like <laughs> yeah. he doesn't seem to like he, he doesn't seem to have any of that like I don't know whether it's grit or like he doesn't have that mileage. stank on him. You're right. No, I think he doesn't that's have so the interesting. You put it that way because I'm like while I was watching this, this was like oh this is the only time I've seen a Peck and Path film where there's a lead, but like a it's a movie star, it's someone that's above the movie or even above yes. the material that doesn't quite like sink in and feel like a like a cohesive part of the tapestry of the film. In yes. a way, I mean, like, I still enjoy this movie. I think it still works. But it does feel more like a Charlton Heston film, like those biblical epics, than it does a Sam Peckinpah film. And it's like he's gritting his teeth against the stank. And Peckinpah's mm. like, Peckinpah's building places in Mexico. People are eating food on their breaks that have got, like, if you watch some of this, some really terrific special features. Yeah. And some, like, the not only are there, um, there's called... The Passion and the Poetry, The Dundee Odyssey. It's Mike Siegel's uh, 2019 feature-length doco. It's got, uh, you know, Lupita Peckinpah. It's got James Coburn, yeah. LQ Jones. It's got a stack of people in there, as well as there's one called um, Anecdotes, where nine actors tell stories about Peckinpah, which th those two I just, like, the special features of those are alone. Them telling stories, I just, yeah. you eat them up. But they're just talking about, like, yeah, he just built stuff. We're eating our lunch. It's got maggots in it. Like, you know, it's hot. People don't have air conditioning. People are uncomfortable. <laughs> comfortable and peck and pa's like we're making this thing and you're in it and this is what's happening and like basically he's just barking orders and they just they just went with him like this younger he's early in his career like I, d I don't actually know he's got this like mystique this quality of like i'm going to take a bunch of people from all around the world into mexico i'm mm. going to film this crazy thing it's going to go well over budget i'm going to argue with the studio the whole time but he's still got the confidence as a young filmmaker yeah. to do that i'm just like what the hell how does that even work one of the other features that caught my eye is like the passion of poetry is like great and it's so informative about like what this movie is how it yes. exists and like how like everything it's like one of the i would say it's like one of the great like special feature documentaries because it's so 100%. immersive and it's so immense it's one of the best i've seen at least this year as far as it goes to special editions not only that there is a documentary about that documentary on one of yeah, those discs so good <laughs> so they really go in on like going in about this because i was reading as well that like this movie its director's cut or its extended cut has like largely been unseen it had only started yes. to be restored in 2005 and since then, the extended cut is the version that I watched. And it's it's very, very impressive because it feels like the way the movie should have always been. But beyond yes. that, they've also created like a 5.1 soundtrack for this um, in Dolby Digital. Oh, no, sorry, DTS, not Dolby. And I've got like a 5.1 system set up in my house. And it was kind of like amazing to see... You know, a lot of these older movies are still just in stereo. And to see like a yes. movie like this and then with a whole new composed soundtrack, like still like beaming through in that 5.1, it's hard to see. It's it's really hard to believe that this movie, since it's been restored, has not had like this grandiose physical release in like the decade and a half since its restoration. Yeah, it's, it is strange. And I think it's like, 
who really knows why you would go to all the trouble of like getting it to that fully restored and just like not immediately paving a pathway to going into Blu-ray. And I think that 2005 is kind of in that weird nexus where yeah. there was next gen, but it wasn't like an immediate thing for them to have it. And so mm. I think when you look at this back catalogue, you look at what Imprint's doing and curating this list of movies that they're finally bringing to us on Blu-ray. It's like you see this and you're like, hold on a second. One of Peck and Pa, like one of the seminal dude directors for us like and yeah. for and for anyone who's listening like this is a movie that kind of needs to be in there and there's a lot of lore about you know them taking the movie off him and 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 if you, I, I would strongly recommend some googling because they're mm. the, it, and the documentaries talk about it too but it's like the movie being taken away from him and also charlton heston having the influence in the movie being taken away to yeah. be recut and so i think that that's like you know without sort of spoiling too much of like i don't want necessarily people to go in with animosity of watching it that way but mm. you can totally like it's totally worth your while to dig in because not only is it a great restoration not only is it really cool to see something that like has rarely been seen before on these uh imprints but it's also rad that it actually has a bit of a dark underbelly yeah. and there's a bit of a story like it that's that's the they're all the magic ingredients that make these these you know these imprint collections so so worthwhile and i think as well like seeing imprint be like this newer boutique blu-ray label like trying to like call it shot and like design what it this label will look like and what it represents this is an important one because it's the first time that i in my opinion they've released something that is not just a film but also feels like a historical document like this yes. is like you know this is like a raison d'etre almost like this is the reason for it to exist <laughs> is that they've like it belongs the in a museum yeah exactly <laughs> and like you know the artwork's incredible for this one as well you've got like Charlton yeah. Heston on that horse in like this big sturdy box um I would assume we actually haven't seen them yet so we have not received them but I'm looking at pictures of this online and it does look <laughs> wait, wait, similar wait, to uh wait, to uh that wait. box that we set we got uh of the outer limits <laughs> we like you are just nursing are just nursing mm. that uh, uh, the, the pictures and, and imagining what it will feel like um, on our later episodes if we do have the physical copies in our hands we'll talk about it now we have to jump from this this big one um, which is it's it's one of the bigger uh, uh mentions uh, that's not a, its own box set it's got two completely different versions of the film on two discs yeah. plus all the special features but when we talk about our favorite films of the batches um, it's so nice when we completely are in sync of what our favorite mm. films in these batches are. And Imprint number 12 is by far my favorite in this batch. Alexi, can you please tell the folks listening what it is? The movie is Mario Bava's Danger Diabolic. Meet Diabolic, a bank Robin Hood who battles the cops. He robs from the rich to give to the girls. Ask Eva. Oh, you shouldn't have done it. She can't get a good night's sleep unless she's covered with money. Woo! This movie I'd never seen before. And Same. unwrapping this one, it was the first one they chucked on from this batch. Because I was like, oh, the title sounds cool. That's all I was going off. And I was like, oh, Mario <laughs> Bava, let me check this out. Oh. I had no idea. It, I thought it was going to be a Jarlo film of some kind. I had no idea that I was finally unearthing the lost strand of DNA to Austin Powers, my most oh my impassioned God. love 
that I had <laughs> never heard of or seen before. This is one of the more shagadelic movies ever made. Okay, name. Austin Danger Powers. Sex? Yes, please. Actually, my name is Austin Powers. It says here, name Danger Powers. No, 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 no. Danger's my middle name. It it could not be more shagadelic. And you you and I, what like, you had watched it, I think, at the same time, and we were texting back and forth in prep for, mm. like, coming to recording. You're like, I found this strand of Austin Powers DNA, and you just, like, hit, like, lightning. I was like, oh, my God, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. That's how it made me feel. It This movie uh, is such a source of joy. Like, yeah. it is so fun. It is so, so slick. It's so weird. It's so completely dubbed out of its mind. Mm -hmm. um, people who are meant to be artists have really awful teeth. Yep. Uh, when plain trap doors open, there's barely a breeze that flutters out to sort of quaff a beautiful woman's skirt up, up even more slightly. Um, it's it's just absolutely ludicrous, but yeah. it's maybe one of the funnest things I've ever seen. It kind of like straddles the line of like, being like a very cool, suave, psychedelic, uh, like expressionistic European, like spy film, and also an Adam West Batman series. <laughs> like that's really what it is. It's so it Austin is. Powers. Like that's I, there's oh. no way Jay Roach and Mike Myers didn't see this and like it inform like the stylistic tone of what Austin Powers aesthetic is going to be. Yeah, and it's it's like just from everything, you know. Um, Diabolique is a thief, um, and in, and literally in the IMDb synopsis, they call him an international man of mystery. Yeah, he um, is. He, it's he the only other movie where I'm like, yeah, this person's an international man of mystery. That's the only other time I've seen it. <laughs> and he's 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 an international man of mystery and a thief. And um, there's a whole bunch of. Uh, it, they don't really say what country, but it, it's just sort of presumed that it's England, but it's like yeah. a random European country. Um, and um, they they pull off heist after heist and they just keep baiting him with these, I don't know, like like impossible to turn down, uh, you know, uh, items, yeah. um, whether it's gigantic train-sized bars of gold or emerald necklaces or $10 million in cold hard cash. And they kind of, they just keep like baiting him with stuff, but it's like, Every look, every car, his underground hideout, which has like showers with modesty, yeah. like frosting on the glass. I was just like watching it and I'm going, this is so Austin Powers. This is so sensational. Um, it, it just, it is, it just could not. And even the actors that are playing his foils and his antagonists yeah. are just so wonderfully like you, you hit the nail on the head. Adam West, like pitch perfect tone of like chewing scenery, having a ball, just being big and completely OTT. It was just glorious. Like, I, I, I mean, I, I laughed out loud a couple of times and I scared my family yeah. because like I'm in my office and I'm in my office and I'm like howling and they're like, what are you laughing at? I'm yeah. like, I'm laughing at this movie. The it is glorious. The you you've never heard of. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's self-knowing enough to be funny as well. Like it knows that yes. it's kind of like camp. It knows that it's silly. It knows that it's like fairly lightweight, 
But, you know, Mario Bava, you've got a master genre director coming at this material who is literally very much elevating it all with aesthetics. I think he's looking at this as yes. like, this is an aesthetic uh, design. This is an aesthetic appreciation. This is just a stylistic, like, exploration of, like... Yes. Like, I, I think it's French comics. I was reading about it, and I watched, like, this great documentary in the special features, uh, yeah. which is the, like, how this comes to be that it is like this um like it is like this weird european comic and it does translate into the film it does have that kind of like episodic comic strippy feeling to it as well and as well of course it's like the uh inspiration for the beastie boys music video body moving which is on the disc body moving body moving body moving body moving body moving body body moving body moving yes it is on the disc and what's amazing though is in that documentary that is on this disc it talks about like this movie was made in 1968 it's proximity to the hollywood Mm. decoupling from the Hayes code which controlled the content in hollywood for so long was so like on that line it's like right in the time of easy riders etc so it's like one of those rare times where like italy had developed a tone and an aesthetic and like a sexy spy thriller thing that literally was blowing up all through Europe and like this one obviously and then blows into all the spy films and the Bond films when the Hayes Code sort of disappears and the American audience opens up to more sort of, you know, uh, overtly sexualized stuff. Yeah. This then like influences a whole bunch of things. So it's so actually really cool to kind of go like, oh, there was a time period right now where like this would have been hot shit mm. if you had Diabolique in like Hollywood because it would be so naughty. Like yes. it would be like really, really taboo. Absolutely. I think that this is just such an enjoyable film because I think especially <laughs> if you are like a boutique Blu-ray collector, you do have like a mind for aesthetics. And I think that yeah. seeing this but done with like like in a very earnest and sincere way, but still have like this undercurrent of irony. Like somehow like there's a self-knowing irony about it that feels contemporary to like what it's kind of like going for is it's, it's, there's really, you know, there's nothing like it. The only things that are like it are things that we're talking about that are like direct parodies that we didn't know were parodying this very specific film. And that are awesome. Yeah. The things we're saying is like, Batman, uh, you know, the 60s Batman series with Adam West, there's nothing better. And and Absolutely. and there's nothing better than the original Austin Powers. There's like nothing better than the tone, mm-hmm. than everything about it. And yeah, it's uh, it's it, like, this was really special. And exactly as you said, if you, if you want that like really like incredible aesthetic and in beautiful 1080p, yeah. this looks look spectacular. It has superb. matte paint has the matte paintings, has, re, you know, reprojection, mm-hmm. beautiful, like, tricks of, like, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, actual fun, practical special effects yeah. trickery, but also, like, cool just tricks of the camera and, like, great cuts. That's why Bava is so good, and you yeah. can tell that he's, like, as a horror director, the conventions of what we expect, like, like especially in really rigid, theatrically shot things mm. uh for example just on topic like the trial of chicago 7 when you're shooting something that's really boring when you watch something like danger diabolique um you're seeing a director who's like 
I'm going to cut because I want the yeah. whole sensation of being in the space has to be a certain way. So like they do such clever cuts where like you're looking into this pool because in the, his lair, there's meant to be this great endless pool that like swims, you can swim up from, from the ocean. Mm. And so there's a cut there. Then emerging out, you like the shots from the other side of the room. So you don't have to have the pool in the same room. And it's like great trickery. That's so old school, but like it's done in such a stylized way that you're yeah. like, I'm totally forgiving all of the tricks that I know that, that are being played on me. I'm just having a ball while it's yeah. all happening. And I would say like this edition, this collection, like you're going to see this movie and then you're going to go immediately, oh, I want to know everything about this. And it's supplied there. Because as soon yeah. as the movie ended, I'm like, okay, I need to know more. <laughs> Hit the species. Went on to that documentary like about what the 100%. fuck Danger Diabolic is. <laughs> and there's an audio commentary with John Philip Law and Amaro Bava, biographer as well. That's my yes. next step because John Philip Law has now become a curiosity in my life. And I yes. need to know more about this actor. And then, of course, like I said, the body movement video clip is on there. And there is an optional audio commentary by Adam Yauch as well. So it's like... This is this is like a true gem that I've discovered in my life. I, I mean, look, we've had some real true gems that have popped up. Mm-hmm. We've had like Nightfalls in Manhattan. We've had No Way to Treat a Lady. Yeah. And we've now had Danger Diabolique. And I think that like they are kind of our undeniable top three. But like it was yes. so cool to finally like, like this was the one in the batch. That, exactly as you said, like when you have a new discovery and you're like, I need to know absolutely everything there are three commentary tracks on this movie there is like um you you can't you can't get enough it's like pound for pound like seriously really exquisite yeah it's so weird a (laughs) hundred percent i might watch it again after we finish talking i want to watch it now like i'm fucking so excited I, i i i can't tell you enough that I even said to Alexa, I'm like, I would give anything knowing, you mm-hmm. know, f- folks, folks who, who may not know this, like right off the top, Alexi uh, and, and his uh, comedic partner in finding Drago and <laughs> their upco- and their upcoming series uh, and uh, second series finding Desperado Cam James, both also have a terrific podcast called Mike check, which sort of heaps praise upon the awesomeness of Mike Myers. Yes. We made our bones in Austin powers. So I know what I'm talking about. He knows what he's talking about. And so I literally texted Alexi and I'm like, I, I would pay money (laughs) to sit and watch this movie with you and Cam James because it would just be one of the funnest things ever. We might have to put a screening of it on some. We have to. That that's I, I mean that's the next thing. You're hearing all the meetings that happen on air. I would love to see this movie with a crowd. I reckon absolutely. people would have an absolute ball. Absolute absolutely. Ball. Uh, a movie that may not be the most fun to watch with a crowd is our next up no. for discussion. <laughs> but it's a movie that I do love. It was the only film in this batch that I had seen before. I'm talking about John Schlesinger's The Day of the Locust. Isn't it romantic? In the nineteen thirties. Hollywood was a place where dreams came true. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen in Radio Land. Where nothing was common or ordinary. And anyone could have riches and fame. And so they came from the Midwest and the South, from the Bible Belt and the Ivy League, from vaudeville stages and carnival midways, beckoned by a promise of sunshine and stardom, beauty, and romance. Yeah, this one I hadn't seen. And so for folks who haven't heard of it, 1975, it's immediately following Schlesinger's um, in, in, incredible movie, Midnight Cowboy. Um, it's an and art I think, director. Is it just after Marathon Man as well? 
Just after. Like Marathon. Oh, sorry. Marathon Man is in 1976. Oh, okay. So it's in between. He's tweensy. Yes. Tweensy. Sandwiched in between. It's about an art director in the 30s who falls in love um, and attempts to make a young woman an actress despite Hollywood basically wanting nothing to do with her. And she's kind of like, I don't know. She's like a honey trap for the biggest band of weirdos and cucks you've ever met in your life. And it's like, it's... It's ultimately this incredible, it's based off the novel by Nathaniel West and it's an incredibly scathing view of what Hollywood is and who it attracts and how it just doesn't care what whether you live or die. It's it's a really, inc- I was watching it and, and Alexi put it best. This is not a fun watch. It's kind of excruciating, but it's kind of really terrifically put together. Yeah, I do. I do love this movie. John Schlesinger, I love Midnight Cowboy. It was maybe my favorite movie when I was like 14, 15 years old. I mean, not <laughs> yes. maybe, it was. Like I watched, I've seen that movie like a hundred times. We would watch it on Christmas Day in my family. We would have lunch and then we'd watch Midnight Cowboy. Because <laughs> my uncle oh, Jesus. introduced it to me. He was like, you're going to love this one. And I watched it I'm like, oh yeah, this is the best movie I've I ever seen. I need to see... I need to see Ratso Rizzo on a full stomach. Yeah, we I did. We I literally did. for like five years, we watched Midnight Cowboy on Christmas Day. I uh, followed by the Wanderers. Great double feature. Oh my God. That is a weird, weird double feature. Anyway, that's another screening for another time. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're Greek cinephiles. That's what we would do for Christmas <laughs> Day. Um, but I, and Waldo Salt as well is the, is the writer of this film and Midnight Cowboy. And I remember like tracking this one down years ago uh, because of my love for this film, filmmaker. And I kind of like have this thing with John Schlesinger where I'm like, all his other movies, nothing lives up to my love for Midnight Cowboy. I'm just like, I wish yeah. all these other movies were just Midnight Cowboy with like a different actor or something like every <laughs> time. So coming back to this now, like more mature I really appreciate it because it's so scathing and it's like depiction of Hollywood. And it's like a version that you don't see. Like the closest that I would say is probably like the disaster artist. You're really dealing with the people on the lowest rung of that ladder. The bottom feeders, the outcasts, the weirdos. This is a movie literally about extras in big movies or extras in small movies. And it's the kind of people that get crushed in a disaster of a yes. movie with no safety precautions being made. Like this is really a movie about how dangerous and unforgiving Hollywood is. And there's nothing as savage as this film. And no. it is massively acted with like a great cast. William Atherton is incredible as the lead as like this kind of like schmuck who kind of, it's interesting because he's like such a waspy energy playing like this Jewish character, like this production designer coming into Hollywood who does have some talent, but like largely this movie is about people that have a bizarre dream that they should not be following. And Karen Black really. I mean, before we jump into Karen Black, because because she's unbelievable, but like if you know, William Atherton Mm. and you haven't seen this movie, it'll blow your mind. It will blow your mind because it literally sets the template for this kind of, you know, the Walter Peck and Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. Thornburg and Die Hard, like this kind of like hand-pecked cuck yeah. that is in almost every movie <laughs> that he plays that seems to get like, he, he gets sort of stuck playing that that guy yeah. in almost every movie. He like, he's the prototype of that as Todd. So I was watching this, I'm like, oh my God, this is William Atherton 
absolutely crushing and people just going, I want that guy. Like I need yeah. that energy. And he could just go back to it so many times. And he was a stage actor before that. And, and there is, you know, and, and not to jump too far ahead on like, um, you know, what actually makes it really worth your while as far as imprint, but like, there is a really, really terrific, um, mm. and candid like chit chat with William Atherton, so like that cool. tells his ex really good about his entire experience, all the actors, the performances, Schlesinger himself, um, the reception of the film. It's really terrific. And one of the, like one of the first things that you jump straight into the specials for, but I mean, Karen Black, Karen Black's performance is is so good that it makes you squirm in your seat. Like yeah. it is, it, it is an infuriating thing that she's doing. And, but she's like, she, she doesn't break. There's, she's completely committed to playing this. I mean, just this absolute looney tune of a, yeah. of a person who's like been turned into a looney tune by the craziness of everything that is happening in this yeah. town. And then as well, like the supporting cast in this movie is Burgess Meredith playing like a vaudevillian, yeah. like a, a like a near death vaudevillian star. <laughs> and then, and then yes. as well, we've got Donald Sutherland as like I don't even know how to describe him in this movie. He plays like it's the most like ah uh, I don't have the vocabulary to describe what he's doing. Uh, like this weird he's, conservative pseudo religious. Yeah, he's really repressed. This incredibly repressed Deeply dude repressed, yeah. that you get, you get, and this is what is so cool. Like this is why Schlesinger and particularly Salt are just masters mm. because in like one second, Karen Black is like searching his house, like she's staying with him at the time. Like again, like in one of the maneuvers of the film, without spoiling too much, she ends up staying yeah. with um with his character, who's finally named Homer Simpson, actually, which is just that even is more so hilarious. Weird. And that's a coincidence. That's there's no. So, it's a coincidence. That he's called Homer Simpson. It's so weird. Not actually the Homer Simpson, but he, um, she goes into one of his apartments and she finds a whole bunch of this stuff, and it's a, it's it's of a person, a dancer that he used to know, and so it's like three lines of the movie, but it puts this cast this big question mark on like what is this guy? Who is he? He's this weird guy who like just wants to wants to serve and wants to be helpful and wants people to do their best, but also is like a guy who can you know people can just suck him dry. Absolutely, and it's it's. It's a really, cra it's, it's, yeah, like I can totally see, I'm so glad I saw this now. Like, mm. it's so weird. I've got a little, like my, my friends and I who are based, a couple of them based in the uh, States are got a little pandemic movie club and this yeah. week's assignments, um, for, you know, it doesn't matter when people are listening to this, we're watching a whole bunch of LA movies. We're watching Chinatown and watching, um, right. I um, just rewatched uh, that well, as well. We're watching LA Confidential and watching wow. stuff. And so I was watching Day of the Locust only like about a week ago in preparation for this. And I was like, I'm so glad I saw Day of the Locust because I feel like with my LA head on my shoulders and like being around like messed up bits of Hollywood, I'm like, you know, Curtis Hansen would have been familiar with Day of the Absolutely. Locust. Big time. Can I Big tell time. you, I literally watched Day of the Locust followed by Chinatown on the same day. <sighs> And it was that's, a, that's they, a double feature and a half. Absolutely, like it's a double feature and a half because it's like you will be so immersed in like 1930s <laughs> Hollywood law, the yes. look of it all as reconstructed by 1970s like in American new wave cinema, and uh, you know, like they use some of the same places, some of the same locations, mm -hmm. like the the flats in the kind of like like the struggle area of Los Angeles <laughs> yes. plays such like a vital role in this movie. It's so like, if you are an LA fan, I know Cameron James, my other co-host, 
he loves like LA architecture. And I'm like, this is going to be his Christmas present is oh, this movie. 100%. 100%. He will flip. And it's, it's so good. It's so weird. And, mm. you know, Conrad Hall is the cinematographer who's one oh. of the greatest cinematographers of all time. And this film, like if you're talking about, and we're just, if you went back to back and you're watching them along the spine line yep. number, um, like, like uh, as we've just been talking about them, you know, Dundee and then Diabolique are going to look incredible. And mm. you're going to come to the the kind of muddy 1930s, like you've pulled this film out of a canister, look at this movie, and you're going to be like, oh, I don't know if the transfers is good. But literally just for, for context, and you'll see it in the special features too, as it's talked about and discussed in the audio commentaries and things like that. It's like, this is, you know, this was a complete take Yep. where Chinatown had a completely different sort of pristine mm. take on on what they were doing with how they were going to shoot that era. Um, this is like a muddy, this wanted to this wanted to replicate yeah. the the energy and the exposure of the film like completely for yeah. that era. And so it, it doesn't, it looks crap. It actually looks so good in some of the um, in, internal set yes. sequences because it's like the camera was made to be shot on a set and all these outdoor sequences and night sequences and stuff like the, the lens flares and the, and the, the, the natural light sort of imposing on this old, old film stock mm. and whatnot. It's just like, it's got a, it's got a look. Yeah. Conrad Hall, of course, one of the all time great cities. And there's this glow about this movie, like this overexposed, like you were talking about. This film like has that dust bowl feeling. And I think that like there's this glow about this film as well. Like you said, like there's an overexposed nature to this film, to this celluloid. And that glow is only really going to pop on this Blu-ray. Like this film will never look better than this at all. But like having that glow come through, it does capture that feeling like these like tormented dreams of these people, like these bizarro dreamers. And I think like what I really appreciate about this movie now is if you watch this movie, you will be like slowly come to the realization that you are watching like a true horror film. Like this is one of those films that's like, oh, actually, did you know that's a horror film? And like, oh, (laughs) how can you miss it when you reach like the most terrifying, one of the most terrifying ends in film history. Oh, I, I mean, the other thing is you would be so familiar with this too. It's, and it's a great like horror movie trope and it happens in a lot of thrillers is like you go into the town and there's like a town full of weirdos and eccentrics yes. and you know that problems are going to happen. But just imagine like not actually being with a character really. I mean, although kind of William Atherton's character Todd is kind yeah. of this guy, you're not really with a guy who is above that. Yeah. You're, you're kind of in the weirdo struggle. Like yes. he moves into that apartment and he belongs there. And so you get these weirdos that are all around and they just, it. you get consumed by their insecurities and their desperation and just anything that they'd be willing to do to like, to, mm-hmm. to, to go beyond. It's, 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 it's a, you know, while it might not be your favorite movie, it's definitely like, it's definitely an impactful movie and it's definitely like if yeah. you're a Schlesinger guy, you've got to see it. But if you're an LA film, that's, you know, for someone who spent, you know, you know, like 150 hours talking about heat and talking about LA movies and talking yeah. about Hollywood, um, that, you know, the, the sequences in this movie that speak to the horror of like this sort of the, the vacuum of Hollywood and all that understatement, and especially, you know, scenes of like a whole bunch of these like uh, studio executives and their rich partners going mm. off and secretly watching porn at like yeah. <laughs> at houses and stuff. It's like, it's just like, oh, this is the real town. 
Absolutely. Maybe that's why people don't want to talk about it because this is what the town is. I think this is like, this might be the best movie in this batch. And I would, I would love to see like a contemporary or modern remake or a remake set in like maybe the 90s or something yeah. that has this like bursting feeling of like this resentment towards Hollywood or like this like yeah. this savage take about like what the new lowest rung of Hollywood is like. Because I think yes. that this movie is like, it's kind of timeless for Day that of the reason. Lo- Day of the Locust meets Pain and Gain. Like I want to bring yes. it to that era. Like that kind of shit, it's like it's got that same energy where you're just in amongst these absolute dirtbags where there's yeah. no really redeemable characters of any sort, but you're just so compelled to continue watching them. It's like it's got that it's got that great energy. I think this is like really watching this again, I was like, this is what I wanted the disaster artist to be. Because I think the disaster yeah. artist, it's a good movie, but that book is like as good as Sunset Boulevard <laughs> or something. So like watching yes. this, I'm like, ah, this, this someone should do something with this. Someone can do something with this. If you, in the Disaster Artist, uh, do you have someone licking like the gaping wound in a chicken's head? No, no, you don't. Okay, so you really need to, you really need to up your game significantly. Yeah. You need cockfighting. You Absolutely. need, you need, you need some gizzards flying. That's what I'm saying here. <laughs> It was also, I watched this movie with my partner, Blake, and they noticed, like, they were like, oh, that kid reminds me of, like, Rorschach. I'm like, huh? And then I was like, oh, and then, like, watching the movie, like, oh, my God, like, that actually is is. Jackie Earl Haley. It is that, I had exactly the same feeling. I was like, that can't be, Mm. but it was such, like, like, I don't even I, think I don't know whether Jackie it's... Haley from Bad News Bears like a few years later, so I just assumed he was a teenage actor, not a child child actor. No. And I I mean this is like one of the last movies where people had real like real faces. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's like like um uh, Jackie L. Haley, but like Burgess Meredith has got a wonderful face, yeah. Atherton's great, so Donald Sutherland's got a striking face, Karen Black, mm-hmm. but like you've got Richard Dysart, Bo Hopkins, and like just the different actors' faces. Like everyone yes. just kind of looks down on their luck. They look like real people. Like like you said, they're the extras in the background that mm-hmm. kind of are, are meant to be the real people. It's yeah, it's 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 good. We it's, wouldn't see faces special. like that until Michael Mann discovered Dennis Farina a few years later. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is is the perfect segue to wrap up the first part of the Imprint Companion podcast, our first episode of this new batch. We have got three more of the features before we head into our box sets in the next upcoming episode. Um, I've been Blake Howard. You can find me at One Blake Minute on Instagram and on Twitter, and you can follow uh, my other podcast network, One Heat Minute Productions, wherever you find your podcasts, and also oneheatminute.com. Alexi, where can our awesome listeners find you when they're not getting really geeky and being steadfast with DVD culture in Imprint Companion? Uh, you can find me at this is Alexi on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me talking about movies every single week with Cameron James on Total Reboot. And starting from this week, Finding Drago 2, a.k.a. <gasps> Finding Desperado Goes to Air, oh, which is our new mystery investigation based on popular culture our our descent into a whole new pop culture mystery begins on abc uh it's finding desperado you can find it uh there is a teaser trailer up in the finding desperado feed right now and the entire first season of finding dragos there as well if you've never heard it and you want to catch up 
you've got a couple of days before the new one comes out. Yeah, get get onto that quickly. And if I strongly recommend not only binging on Finding Drago, what are you guys doing? It's one of the greatest podcasts to ever come out of this country. But I strongly recommend listening to the trailer for Finding Desperado to hear Cameron James and uh, my wonderful co-host, Lex Teleopis, <laughs> laugh out loud when they proclaim that themselves are investigative journalists <laughs> for the national broadcaster. I mean, they technically cannot... it's true. <laughs> we are in, we're critically acclaimed, internationally acclaimed uh, <laughs> documentarians now so you know we gotta we gotta call it uh, how it is it's a technicality you, yeah but uh, I, I look i would have had that line read go again for sure because you guys were just <laughs> cackling all the way through it i wasn't convinced uh, but no but seriously good stuff guys thank you so much for listening to this episode of imprint companion we'll be back very soon um in just a day in fact uh with the next episode and uh, of this batch and then we will finish out a few days later with uh, the final box set batch film noir Bob Hope, we'll catch up with you soon. And come back, make sure you're here for the next episode because there is a huge movie. There's a huge film in that batch.